Funding for the Capital Weekly Podcast is provided by the California Endowment and by TASSEN, the Tribal Alliance of Sovereign Indian Nations. Uh, greetings and welcome to Capital Weekly's podcast. I'm John Howard. I'm joined by Tim Foster. Hello. And our special guest, Mark DiCamillo, uh, a familiar name for many, many, many years as the head of the California poll here, a field poll in California, now at um, Institute for Governmental Studies at UC Berkeley. But you're still doing numbers crunching and still doing uh, polling. And an issue that came up, you uh, wrote in Capital Weekly, I want to thank you for that piece, by the way. Um, you talk about public polling and issues confronting public polling now as we go forward. This is an election year, obviously. It's a big deal for just about everybody who follows politics. So um, on the public polling piece of this, what are the big uh, differences now? What are the changes that we're experiencing now? Well, we used to uh, have pretty much one standard methodology that was considered the gold standard by the media and, you know, informed observers as to how you do a poll. Uh, and these days, that's no longer the case. Uh, cost factors, more it's much more difficult to do random probability sampling using random digit dial by telephone, which was the standard method oh, for most of my career. I'd say for the first 30 years of my career at the field poll, uh, that's what we did repeatedly over and over again, and it worked quite well. Uh, however, uh, if you look at the polls being reported now in the media, most of the polls that you see in the public domain are no longer probability-based telephone surveys. They're uh, more likely to be online internet-based polls. Uh, they're much cheaper to do, uh, and uh, you know there have been strategies uh, for trying to get them to be uh, as accurate as uh, as the uh, traditional polls. So. It's an open field right now when you look at the polls as to how they're being conducted. And, uh, you know, it's interesting uh, in my role now at Berkeley, I've been able to experiment uh, with the different methods and uh, kind of learned a little over the past year by uh, comparing and contrasting the different methods. Is there a difference between a question asked on an old-fashioned analog line and the same question asked on a digital, on a cell phone, on a handhold? I mean, is there a difference, qualitative difference in the responses depending on what conduit you're using to pose the question to a, to a person being surveyed? No, I think probably the, the good thing that uh, pollsters found when cell phones became more and more prevalent was that people seemed to be just as willing to do a poll or at least, uh, you know, once you got them on the phone, uh, were able to do a poll on their cell phone uh, with uh, pretty much the same kinds of questions and uh, the same response uh, that you'd get on a landline phone. Uh, but the problem is that cell phone call, uh, interviews are much more expensive. You can't use these automated dialers uh, to dial cell phones since it's against federal law to use any automated de device to call a cell phone. You have to hand dial them and that became much more expensive. Um, and, you know, the telephone survey method is just increasingly expensive. It's not that it is totally broken down. It's just, in my judgment, for public polls, it's unsustainable. Uh, it, it, it costs, uh, you know, upwards of $100,000 to do a well-conducted random digit dial poll of Californians. And uh, I think most public polls don't have that kind of budget. 
When you uh -huh. talk about that kind of budget and that being a good poll, how many people would you reach with a $100,000 budget? Well, I look at the PPIC polls done in California as a good example of well-conducted uh, random digit dial telephone surveys. Uh, you can talk to Mark Baldessari about the budget for his polls, but uh, you know I think they're certainly in the six-digit range, and what they're doing is about 1,700 interviews uh, uh, with people both on their landline and cell phones, and uh, you know, they do as good a job as any. Uh, I have no quarrel with what they're doing. It's just uh, very difficult uh, for other public polls uh, that don't have that kind of funding to be able uh, to continue using that methodology. I, I understood one of the costs of polling is that um, you have a group of people, a set of people uh, or respondents that you want to get in touch with and you call them and you don't hook up the first time. You're not able to get them maybe when you redial a second time. And part of the expense is the need to keep dialing them or trying to contact them until you do and you're able to do the survey. Is that, is, is that generally true? Is this redialing and recontacting part of the uh, labor intensity of, of the polling? Sure, it's always been that way. A uh, well-conducted telephone poll will always have multiple callbacks. You could, to field poll used to have about six callbacks to each listing. But the problem is that technology now with the phones is that people have caller ID by and large and they can see who the incoming caller is before they even decide to pick up the call. And I think for most people, when they see a call coming from a polling organization or from a 800 number or from a number that they just don't recognize, they're much less likely to pick up the phone. And that creates huge problems in trying to get people to respond to a telephone survey. Does the online uh, piece, of the, I mean, how does online polling uh, play into this? It seems like it's much easier to do and much more cost effective, but as uh, is the accuracy where you want it? Is there a, are there issues of accuracy when you start doing this online? Sure, there's huge issues of accuracy. And, uh, you know, I think there's just a, a huge uh, variety of different types of online polls now. And I think the experimentation that's going on now over the past five years is probably a healthy thing for the industry. Uh, we've been experimenting with this method that actually uses kind of random selection, but we're using the voter rolls as a method uh, to uh, do an online survey. And what we're experimenting with is the uh, increasing numbers of California voters who include their self, or, or excuse me, their email address when they're registering or re-registering to vote uh, in California. We can actually sample voters uh, using their email addresses from the voter rolls. Uh, currently, about 6 million or so voters have an email address appended to their voter rolls, and it's, it's increasing rapidly. And that becomes a very viable method uh, for us, at least I think down the road, as more and more people put their email addresses into the voter rolls, that can work uh, and be more and more accurate. But for most uh, Internet polls, they're not using any kind of random methodology. They're actually using what they call pre-recruited online panels of respondents. These are kind of professional respondents. They are willing participants who get compensated to take polls on a regular basis. And that forms the kind of the backbone of what you're now seeing on uh, internet-based online polls. Uh, we've certainly done a few of those over the past year to try to judge the methodology and the accuracy. 
uh, and we've done telephone surveys and we, again we've done this new uh, email methodology and you know we're trying uh, to adapt the methods I think to the uh, objectives of the survey and uh, for a number of reasons we actually think the email method has has greater promise um, for uh, for the upcoming election cycle because it gives us greater flexibility in not only polling statewide where there's a huge demand to see who's going to win for governor and other statewide offices, but also it gives us the flexibility of polling in uh, other geographies like the state's congressional districts since that's accurately labeled on the voter rolls as to which congressional district a voter is in we can actually sample voters uh, within each of the competitive con congressional districts and we're looking forward to doing that as we move forward uh, to the general election well you, you know what's happened to us here <clears throat> it's not a question not directly a question of polling but in responses to polls that we've run uh, that are that use email addresses. There are many people out there who've been contacted who don't know that their email addresses are part of the public record, and they'll call us. I think probably every time we run a major poll, probably I get maybe a dozen calls from people outraged uh, that we've somehow invaded their privacy, and how did we get a hold of their email addresses, and how did how did that happen? And they're amazed and surprised that. When they, when they registered or re-registered to vote, that their email address became part of a large public database and it can well, be accessed. And not only amazed and surprised, some of them will swear up and down that yes. they never provided their email address, which of course they did, yeah. but they will absolutely tell you that there's no way in the world that they did. And the emphasis here is on swear, right? Yeah, <laughs> Yeah, exactly. we get those. It's kind of amazing. Um, yeah, but no, I've, I've gotten I kind of, some of that too, certainly. Uh, you know, the method of attempting to do surveys uh, through emails is actually predated my arrival at the UC Berkeley campus. Other uh, academic researchers, both uh, students and faculty at UC Berkeley, have been using that methods over the past couple years, and uh, they've you know they've expressed to me that some voters get irritated. We've tried to be sensitive to that. Uh, right on the invitation to the email, we say at the very in very bold letters, if you want to opt out and not receive any further emails from us, uh, you can just hit this uh, you know opt out button, and we won't include you in any future attempts for that survey or in any future survey moving forward. So there is a portion of the public that uh, uh, wants to opt out, and and will respect that, but still. Uh, most of the voters are not that way. You know, the irate of a few are, are out there and we try to be sensitive to them. And uh, But the, the public voter rolls uh, is a public record, especially for, um, you know, government and university research purposes, which is where I find myself. Uh-huh. Well, you know, last, um, the last presidential election, 2016, after it was over, uh, I think it was 538 that ranked polling... Uh, polls, uh, you know, in terms of their accuracy and tracking them through the um, through the election cycle, and online polling scored very high. I think Google actually was had done polling and was way up there at top, much to the surprise of many people who tracked this through the cycle and saw the traditional polling more accurate, more uh, you know, more accurate than the new types, the newer types of polling. Did were there any lessons from two thousand sixteen that Mark that you Took away and carried away from from that cycle. Uh, 
No, I think um, most uh, researchers are becoming aware that there are weaknesses and problems with just about every polling method. In fact, there's a major piece in today's New York Times uh, about the weaknesses of the exit polls that were conducted in 2016. Um, you know, the, uh, the traditional telephone method with random digit dial, you don't even know that the person you're talking to is in fact a registered voter. They, it relies on their testimony. Uh, not everybody owns up to the fact that they uh, may not be registered to vote. And when you ask people, you know, have you voted in past elections, most people over-report that just based on their testimony. Whereas if you're sampling from the voter rolls, you know exactly uh, who's registered and who's not. And we, we know their history of having participated in past elections, uh, which is very helpful to us uh, in trying to determine who are the likely voters in a sample. So again, there's not uh, a, a silver bullet. I'm not saying that the, the voter roll method is flawless. In fact, when we did a comparison uh, set of polls in December, one done by telephone, one done by the email method, uh, to voters off of the voter rolls. We saw uh, most of the findings overall to be similar, but we saw some weaknesses in the uh, email method, which uh, I think are significant and, and, and need to be addressed, and we are attempting to do that. One of the most significant was that uh, we saw a difference in, in the characteristics of Latino voters in California with the uh, email method uh, appearing to uh, produce a less representative sample, a much less diverse population of Latinos, particularly underrepresenting those who speak Spanish or those who are less well-educated. And it's our view that uh, it's mainly because those Latinos are less likely to have access to the internet and don't have any email addresses, don't really use the uh, internet or email frequently, uh, and therefore they're not included in, the, in those kinds of polls. And so we're going to need to address that. In fact, one of the interesting findings that came out of our poll that was, I think, newsworthy was that when we compared the three internet-based polls that we did over the past year in the governor's race to the two governor's, uh, two uh, telephone-based polls that we did, uh, support for Via Ragosa uh, was uh, different uh, between the two polls. Uh, the email method, uh, the online method, uh, produced um, much lower levels of support for uh, Via Ragosa, six points less on average than the telephone method, uh, and again, it had to do with the composition of the Latinos included in each sample. And in my judgment, the telephone surveys, at least uh, in that regard, were superior uh, in getting a, a broader composition of, of all Latino voters. So, so going forward, is that something you've got to compensate for, um, especially in a race like this where, you, where the Latino vote obviously is, a, is in really significant? Um, it's definitely at the top of my mind polling. right now. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's something yeah. we're going to be addressing in our next poll. We're attempting to improve the representativeness of the Latino voter samples in uh, our online surveys, uh, our email surveys. So we'll see. Uh, it's it's an open question of how successful we're going to be, but it's something that we're uh, we're addressing, and that's uh, I think something that's helpful uh, in the academic setting to try uh, new methods and to try to continually uh, improve on those methods. Well, great. Then we have another topic we can talk about next time. Another question for next time we talk. I hope we can again as we go through the election. We definitely want to 
keep track and touch base with you and see what the latest is with polling. So, uh, Mark DiCamillo, thank you very much. Thanks for taking the time to do our podcast today. Tim Foster, thank you very much. Thank you. And this is John Howard, and I will see you folks uh, next time around. Take care. The Capital Weekly Podcast is supported by TASSEN, the Tribal Alliance of Sovereign Indian Nations.